Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. You probably already know this, but just in case you weren't so sure, this discussion is intended to be for general educational purposes, and it's not tax, legal, or investment advice for any individual. This is just for funsies and to give you a little bit of education. Being self-employed can seem like the greatest thing ever. You get to work from home. You get to work in your pajamas if you so choose. You can drink coffee at all hours of the day. You can take a longer lunch if you want to but you don't necessarily have the retirement benefits that you have from a traditional W-2 job, or at least in most cases. If that's what you've always thought, this episode is for you because that's actually not the case. There's this whole thing called a solo 401k, and it can be used to better your financial life and still help you reach your retirement goals. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. To help us understand this really complex topic, I am bringing on our guest today, Sean Mullaney. Sean is a financial planner and president of Mullaney Financial and Tax Inc., which offers fiduciary, fee-only, and advice-only financial planning. He's also the author of Solo 401k, the Solopreneur's Retirement Account, which is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers. If you have ever been curious about what are some of the tax advantage retirement options that you have as a solopreneur, this episode is going to cover a ton of ground and be exactly what you needed to hear. What we're going to talk about today is what a solo 401k is and how to use one as a solopreneur, how to take advantage of the flexibility of a solo 401k, how to combine solo 401ks with other types of retirement accounts, what a SEP IRA is, how often a solopreneur should be doing tax plans how to open a solo 401k and different things to consider before opening with any brokerage, resources you can use to calculate solo 401k contributions, how to know whether or not you need a CPA based on your own situation, and why you might even consider filing an extension on your taxes. 
I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was definitely one where I was constantly learning something new, and I thought it was so important for all those people that are like me, where you're basically just running your own business, and it's really confusing and really hard and feels like you're at a disadvantage sometimes when you don't get those employer matches for your 401ks, but I am now convinced otherwise. Anyway, I'm going to turn the mic over to Sean. Let's go ahead and dive into this episode. Hey there, quick favor. If you've been enjoying this show and you like all the work that's happening in the Money Nerds community and you want to figure out a way to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is help me get it to grow. And one of the ways that you can do this is by taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media to let people know that you're listening in. It's a small step, but it really does matter a lot. So take that screenshot, let people know you're listening in and tag me on Instagram at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co and let people know that you are a fellow money nerd. Thanks so much. I appreciate your support. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode today. I am joined by Sean Mullaney and he is going to talk about all things solo 401ks, which is actually, Sean, not a topic we have covered at all on this podcast. So it's really an honor to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Whitney. Looking forward to uh, talking with my fellow money nerd. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Let's chat some solo 401k. Let's do it. So before we dive into the fun solo 401k and we can see who this is for and maybe not for, take us back a little ways. How was money talked about when you were a kid? So in terms of when I was a kid, and I was a kid a little while ago, I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, and so money wasn't talked about that much. I sort of saw my parents' experience with money. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked for a legal publishing company, and we did just fine, right? Um, But I was relating to you before the, the episode, the first time I was ever on a plane, I was 11 years old. And we flew down to Walt Disney World, and that was commensurate with my dad's big promotion at work, right? So I saw some of the effects of money and how money could sort of change your life a little bit. Now, my parents, if I'm remembering correctly, when I was in college, got me a great book called The Millionaire Next Door. It's a a timeless classic of personal finance. And that book really stayed with me. I've got it on my bookshelf. I believe I have to double check, but uh, the lessons in that book stayed with me. Now it didn't make me, you know, Oh, you're fire or fire or anything like that. Yeah. But there were some really good personal finance lessons in that book. And those have stayed with me 20 plus years later. What was, do you recall like your first, cause that was one of the first personal finance books I read as well. And I know it, it changed my perspectives on what wealth looks like. But for you, when you first read that, what were the takeaways where you're like, aha, this is interesting. So the one where they're doing the research early in the book and they're, they want to talk to DECA millionaires. So these are folks with 10 million or more of wealth. And this is in the nineties. So if you were worth 10 million in the nineties, you were very wealthy. So they rent out a, a hotel suite at a fancy hotel and they have the catering and whatnot. And one of the DECA millionaires comes in and they offer him some frou-frou drink. And he's like, I only drink Coors Light. And I'm not getting the exact (laughs) brand right. But the point was they mentally, these professors mentally associated wealth with showiness and with luxury consumption. And it turns out that is not what wealth is about. And that ultimately drives the thesis that Mm. most millionaires are below the radar and it, you know their consumption habits don't look like lifestyles of the rich and famous. That was a TV show when I was growing up. Like, oh yeah, time. forgot about that but, one actually. Yeah, and and that was how wealth was sold to folks in, in the media. 
And it turns out the millionaire next door very much drills down and says, wait a minute, these people who have done really well, for the most part, there are always exceptions and there are Kardashians and reality TV and stuff like that. But for the most part, you don't build wealth by consuming, right? right. You build wealth by building. And that means maybe your tastes are for Coors Light as opposed to these you know, $20 cocktails at the bar. Mm-hmm. I love that too. That book, that was one of the takeaways I had as well as that under the radar thing, that whole concept of the millionaire next door. It's like, you could be living next to people that are sitting on a lot of wealth, but they're not showing it. So we don't even know, which as I get older, I respect that even more. (laughs) Now I'm like, how do you go under the radar even more? Like that, that is something that I've been entertaining a lot. But once you read that book, did you immediately say, okay, I'm going to be frugal, live on a budget. Like, did you immediately internalize that? I didn't immediately internalize that. So my parents were relatively frugal folks. And so it was, it was a slow, sort of a slow burn in my own life. Mm. And what, you know, I I went on from college, did my W2 career. I went to law school, more W2 work and financial planning was always sort of in the background. I was always sort of interested in the tactics of it, right? Mm-hmm. Ooh, backdoor Roth IRA or index investing, or, you know, name your topic. And maybe the wall street journal had an article on it in the, on the weekend, or Susie Orman was talking about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was always interested in these tactics, but it, what really sort of put it together for me was in 2017, I found the fire movement Yeah, and it went from, Hey, there are all these cool tactics out there right? Think about a construction site where you're building a new house. And so you've got the you know marble countertop over here and you've got the fixtures over there for the sinks and you've got some HVAC equipment and those ducts for the HVAC, right? Mm-hmm. That was sort of where I was in personal finance before 2017. I was saying gotcha. like, okay, it'd be really cool to know about that HVAC and how that works. Or it'd be really cool to know about the marble t- countertop or the kitchen sink or whatever it was. Yeah. What Phi did is it said, okay, we got all these things on the construction site. Now let's build a house, right? Mm-hmm. These tactics are great. And you know, I myself have a book about one of those tactics, right? But it's about building a house. It's about the why. Why are we doing a backdoor Roth IRA? Why are we investing in index funds or 401ks or whatever it is we're doing? What's more important than any one particular tactic is this house, And I think the FIRE movement has really focused in on what's the goal here? What are we trying to do from an end game perspective? And that really flipped the switch for me mentally in terms of personal finance. And then ultimately my own career change where I went from corporate taxation, big four accounting firms, W2 work Mm -hmm. to being a solopreneur and having my own solo financial planning practice. Which is an interesting transition too. Did that come during the time you discovered FI? Is that why you were like, "Uh, let's maybe try something different? So it came as part of that. And I started thinking about this 2016, 2017, and ultimately left my W-2 job in 2018. Uh, It took me a little while, right? This was not an instantaneous decision by any means. Think about a a large freighter, right? A large uh, tanker ship, right? It takes a while to turn that thing around. Yeah, And in my case, you know, I just didn't say, hey, I'm W-2 today. I've built up a career and I'm just gone and I'm going to start my own firm. Peace out. I'm out of here. Yeah, That was not (laughs) my path. My path was let's think about it. I even went part-time for a little while and then went back to full-time. 
And then ultimately the itch got so much that I had to scratch. So in 2018, Mm. I left my W2 job. And then by 2019, I'd started my financial planning practice. So it, uh, yeah, it took me a little while and different solopreneurs, different entrepreneurs have different paths as I'm sure the money nerds community can well attest. For sure. I really relate to that too. I think when I first started my financial coaching business, it was, I have to have two to three years of proven income before I leave my safety of my W-2 job. My background is in accounting as well. So maybe I'm a little bit risk averse. I'm not really sure. I definitely am. But it was one of those things where I had to like prove out the business first. Did you have to do that? Like what made you comfortable with going full-time into your business? Several things, right? One, I was fortunate to have a good salary at my old job and I was able to build up wealth. And then second is I had a personal transition sort of juxtaposed with the professional transition. So Mm. in 2018, I married my wife, Catherine, and she has a W-2 job. And so that gave me some stability as well, right? It's like, okay, you know, I had COBRA for my own job, for my healthcare. I had Catherine's support emotionally and financially. And so I thought, look, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a risk on myself. You know, I've got some assets build up and, you know, in this life, you have to take risks, right? But my model was not proven. So for example, some people will do the solopreneur journey where it's like, okay, I have my W2 job and I'm going to dip my toe in. I'm going to start my side hustle. Yep. And the idea is my side hustle or something like it could become my ultimate self-employment, my full-time job. Sure. When you're at a big four accounting firm, you basically sign a contract that says, look, I will exclusively work for you. There are very valid reasons oh, for that. Yep. So I couldn't do a side hustle. I mean, I could do academic pursuits. I could read up on things. I could gain sure. knowledge. I could network, you know, all that sort of thing. But it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to leave my W-2 job and I've got my side hustle built up and now I just built it up further or I'm going to leave my W-2 job and take 10 of my clients with me. You know, my old job was corporate taxation. My new job is personal finance. So yeah, for me, it was a little bit of a start at zero and that's okay. And it it built up slowly, but surely. Yeah. so yeah, so in, in in I mean, I think for the solopreneur, taking risk is just part of what we do. But it, like you're saying, Wendy, it's not always very comfortable if you come from an accounting background, Heck no. two job, you know, background. It's not always comfortable, but you have to get over that discomfort. Yeah, it's scary as hell. I remember the first month I officially went full time in my business was one of my worst revenue months. I'm like, oh my God, I made the worst decision of my life. What was I thinking? And I mean, thankfully it was just seasonality. When you have that data, you can go back and say, oh, this is what's really going on. But it is very scary. So anybody that makes that that leap, I think is really amazing and, and courageous because it is very intimidating. And I think the the interesting piece that I want to really dive into for today is When you are a solopreneur, sometimes that messaging is you don't have the traditional 401k. You're not getting these matches and it almost feels like it's at a disadvantage. But I think one of the things that's so cool about your book is you actually show why this is not necessarily a disadvantage, but an advantage for a solopreneur. So let's talk a little bit about what is a solo 401k. We'll start with like terminology stuff. Absolutely. So a solo 401k is a 401k. So it's the exact same qualified plan for retirement savings that you have at your large employer today. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same thing. 
However, it's designed for those who work for themselves or work with themselves and their spouse and generally speaking, have either no other employees or very few other employees that don't work very, you know, for many hours during the year, right? Okay. So it's designed for those folks who are mostly, you know, for the most part, working for themselves. Now, that could be through just working for themselves under their own name. Sometimes it takes the form of, they call it an S corporation. So mm-hmm. that's a separate legal entity, but you're still sort of a one man or two man, two woman show, you know, uh, maybe it's you and your spouse, maybe it's, um, you know, just you and one part-time worker who doesn't work that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends, but we're, we're really talking about the small business, the solopreneur. And then because it's a 401k, it has these tax and retirement savings benefits, right? So you can defer money into a solo 401k, just like a W-2 worker can into their own 401k. Mm -hmm. And you're both the employee and the employer. So now you can put money in as the employee and that's, you know, up to 20,500 these days for those who are under 50 years old, goes up to 27,000 if you're 50 or older plus an employer match as well. So it can be very, very powerful in terms of amping up tax deductions, which everybody's looking for, and for building tax advantage retirement savings and wealth. I think a lot of times people, they hear that and maybe they feel kind of bad if they can't contribute very much because maybe they're new in their business. You know, if it's just you, maybe your spouse, and then somebody working part-time, you probably don't have a ton of cash flow necessarily yet. Is there is there any limitations? Like, do you have to contribute a certain amount per year to utilize this? Is it just as much as you can? Like, how does that part work? Yeah, it's relatively speaking flexible, right? So um, you don't have to make a contribution every year. I mean, what happens generally speaking is, you know, it's this arc up, right? As you're building your wealth and you're building your self-employment business, you're going to find, oh, I'm starting to make some real money. And as a solopreneur, you pay a lot of taxes because you pay income tax, you may pay a local tax, and you pay the self-employment tax. Now, the solo 401k doesn't defeat self-employment tax, but it can significantly lower income tax. Mm-hmm. So what I, what I think the typical path is, is maybe you get your business going, you start seeing that revenue, and then you're going to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm starting to pay a lot of tax here. I really wanted to max out or defer. But that said, you don't have to max out every year, far from it, right? So it's relatively flexible in terms of the contribution level as you build it up. And I think what happens is, yeah, maybe early on, you're like, look, I only got $5,000 to put into this thing, whether it's a Roth contribution, traditional contribution. Okay, great. Do the 5,000 this year and then reassess next year. And next year it might be, oh boy, I got more clients than I thought I was going to have. My taxes are looking pretty ugly. Maybe I'm going to do a lot more next year. And then maybe the third year, hey, you know what? I want to reinvest in something. So now I'm going to go back down to $5,000, right? Because I want to spend more money on reinvesting in some project or maybe even a new business or whatever it might be. So these things are relatively flexible, which is nice. That is so nice too. And is this something that when, okay, so like with the traditional 401k, you pay taxes when you withdraw that money, right? You get a tax deduction today. And then you, when you take that money out and you need to survive, that's when you pay your taxes. Is that the same with a solo 401k? Like, is that set up pretty similar? That's exactly right, Whitney. 
Um, what happens with a solo 401k is the same thing in terms of getting the tax deduction or exclusion up front, right? Mm -hmm. So you put the money in for a traditional solo 401k, you get that deduction up front. And then later on in life, when you're withdrawing, the money is generally speaking going to be subject to ordinary income tax. Um, and there are strategies where, you know, especially those in the financial independence movement might retire early. Yep. And they would do something called a Roth conversion. That's affirmatively taking money in a traditional retirement account, moving it over to a Roth account, paying tax. But the idea is maybe I'm early retired. And so artificially, it looks like I have low taxable income. I'm not working mm -hmm. anymore. Maybe I have some interest dividends, a little capital gains. But if I don't do any other planning, my tax return looks artificially low. It looks like I'm poor. I'm not. I just have a lot of assets that aren't producing a lot of income. And so maybe at that moment, hey, you know, I'm in a low tax bracket. Maybe I do some traditional to Roth conversions and take advantage of that low tax bracket. So there are different ways to get the money out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, generally speaking, a solo 401k in terms of deductions and in terms of inclusions later on works very similar to a traditional 401k. Is this something too that you can use in conjunction with like a Roth IRA? That's a great question. In my book, I have a whole chapter on how do we marry solo 401k with other retirement accounts, such yeah. as the Roth IRA. And there could be some nice planning that could be done. Uh, one example is, you know, Roth IRAs have annual contribution limits in terms of both amount and income. If your income exceeds a certain threshold, you don't get to make an annual Roth IRA contribution. Well, one strategy can be, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lower my income by taking a deduction for a traditional solo 401k contribution. So uh -huh. that now lowers my income. So now the IRS says, oh, your income's low enough. You can go ahead and make that annual Roth IRA contribution. So it can mm -hmm. be for a lot of solopreneurs, the magic combination can be maybe a deductible traditional I or traditional 401k into the solo 401k, and then separately the $6,000 Roth IRA every year. The other thing it can do, and this gets a little more nerdy, is um, using a solo 401k can help open the door to what's called a backdoor Roth IRA. Yes. So, um, you know, that's talked about a lot in the personal finance space. And sometimes people can't avail themselves of that because they have a SEP IRA or a traditional IRA and this thing called the pro rata mm. rule doesn't work. So you can't do a backdoor Roth IRA, not the end of the world. But if you save through a solo 401k instead of say a SEP IRA, mm -hmm. the solo 401k balance, it could be a billion dollars. I've yet to see that in my travels, but you never know. It's um, somebody's out there. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't, you know, as long as the money's in a solo 401k and not a SEP IRA, guess what? It doesn't count against this pro rata rule. So maybe you contribute to a solo 401k. Mm -hmm. And then if your income's too high on the side, you can do a backdoor Roth IRA as long as you have no other traditional IRAs, SEP IRAs, or simple IRAs. So there's absolutely opportunities to have a solo 401k and another retirement account as well. For somebody that's listening in that maybe isn't self-employed and hasn't heard of a, a SEP IRA and they're like, what a, a SEP? Like, what does this mean? Yeah, what, great, what exactly is that? <laughs> great question. Um, so a SEP IRA is another self-employed retirement account for the most part. Some small businesses with uh, employees use it. But in this context, let's just think about it. It's an IRA, but it's for the self-employed. 
and it has an employer contribution, just like the solo 401k. Mm-hmm. One of the advantages of the SEP IRA is it's very easy to set up late in the year when you're doing your tax return for the previous year. So a lot of uh, tax return preparers, financial planners have gotten sort of fallen in love with the SEP IRA because it doesn't require any planning up front. All you do is, hey, you know, the tax return is just about prepared. You're going to pay all this tax for last year. Oh, maybe one way to reduce that is to open a SEP IRA for last year and just max that out. We get a nice tax deduction. Um, That's the employer contribution. Well, I like the solo 401k more than that SEP IRA for most solopreneurs because you have two contributions. You get the exact same maximum employer contribution, SEP IRA, solo 401k. Generally speaking, no difference in that calculation. But the solo 401k also offers the possibility of an employee contribution. That could be a combination of traditional and or Roth, and it can go to $20,500 as long as you have that much self-employment income, but it can go to $20,500 and then $27,000 for 50 or older. So I like the solo 401k more than the SEP IRA for most solopreneurs. The one thing, though, is you need to do some planning during the year, not during tax return season, but during the year to get that employee contribution. So that's mm-hmm. one of the points I make in my book is I like folks to adopt more of a planning mentality of saying, well, all right, we're in the tax year now. What are those things we can do now to reduce our tax burden versus, hey, let's get to year end. Let's get our tax return prepared and we'll try to reduce our tax liability then. So I think that is uh, something to consider is, hey, maybe we should do more tax planning versus just focusing on the tax return exclusively. And if you do that tax planning, you can get more money into a solo 401k. When would you recommend somebody start looking at tax planning? Because I think even that's kind of a nuanced topic where people are like, wait, you mean I don't just file my taxes and that's my tax planning? Like, (laughs) what are you talking about? I pay my quarterlies. Come on. Is it something where it's like every six months, every quarter? Like, what, what do you generally recommend? So for the solopreneur that operates as just under their own name or a limited liability company that's disregarded, so the income Mm -hmm. and deductions from the business go on a Schedule C, that's a form that's filed with the tax return every year. Mm -hmm. Those types of folks, I actually like right now, late September, early October, mid-October, that's a great time to do the planning for the year in terms of something like the solo 401k. Why is that? One, you have visibility into 75% of your revenue and expenses. For most businesses, there are some seasonal businesses out there. Two, you're somewhat close to November and December, so you have some idea of what those might look like in terms of income and deductions. And it gives you enough time to plant the flag in terms of, hey, we got to get that solo 401k set up by year end. It's got to be set up by December 31st to accept employee contributions. So if we're in mid-October, we got plenty of time. Yep, true. Um, so I, I like mid-October for this. Now, maybe some folks are behind in their money nerds queue, and so they're listening to this in late November. <laughs> totally. There's still time. You got to act now or very close to now. So there's still time, but it's just a lot tougher. And look, maybe you're listening to this on New Year's Eve and, oh, I don't have a chance to do it this year. That's okay, too. Learn for the future, right? So, it, you know, I think sort of the beginning of the fourth quarter is when I really like to do some of this tax planning, but we can always get better. And if we didn't get better for 2022 or 2023, let's just get better for the future. That makes sense. Is this, so to even open up a solo 401k, 
where do you even go? Is it a brokerage? Like how do you even yes. open up a solo 401k? So the solo 401k is available from a lot of brokerages. Um, I'm not here to recommend any one particular brokerage, sure. but I know for a fact that Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, and many others offer the product. In terms of the, where do you go? Well, I'm not here to give you you particular advice, but what you need to do is a little bit of research because the plans are a little different from each other. I'll give you uh, two mm. ways in which they're different. Okay. One is, do they offer a Roth option? Right? There are plenty of uh, discount brokerages that have perfectly valid and fine solo 401k programs, but they don't offer a Roth option. Right, I do know that Vanguard, for example, offers the Roth option. Some of their competitors don't. So if the Roth option of, is of interest, then you might want to think about Vanguard or one of the other providers that has a Roth option. Sure. Second thing to think about is the plan parameters. And one of, the, one of the big parameters in this regard is other employees. So there's a, a tax mm. rule on this and a plan rule on this. And we're going to get a little money nerdy here. I like uh, it. The tax rule says under before 2024, if you have an employee that works 1,000 hours or more, guess what? They have to be included in the plan. You don't qualify for a solo 401k. That's the tax rule. Oh. The plan rule can be different. And in fact, Vanguard has a different plan rule. Vanguard says it's for a solo 401k, the only employees can be you and your spouse. That's it. You hire somebody as a W-2 worker for one hour this year, you don't get to have a solo 401k at Vanguard. So if you're in that situation where you have some very random part-time workers who are well under the thousand hours, you can still have a solo 401k as long as nobody hits that thousand hours, but you probably need to go somewhere other than Vanguard. So this is something I talk about the I talk about in the book, in the solo 401k realm, you're sort of, you're subject to two different types of rules. One is what I refer to as the tax rule. That's Congress and the IRS. And that applies to all solo 401ks, no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you violate a tax rule, you have a, a, a global solo 401k problem. But then there's also the plan rule, which basically is the plan itself. The provider offers its own plan with its own rules. And if you violate the plan rule, you don't get to have a solo 401k, generally speaking, at that particular provider, but you might be able to do another Google search and find a different provider that actually could work sure. for you in that circumstance. That is so crazy because I think it's, it feels very complicated. <laughs> it feels like very, like there's all these like fine prints that you almost have to think through. Is it, is it something where these are like clearly laid out when I'm doing my research or is it something where I have to do some digging into? Yeah. And that gets me to a uh, surprise, surprise in my book. I have found a lot of confusion on some of these points out there in the world as I work with prospective clients, actual clients. And so I put this book together as an educational resource to help empower folks. Uh, look, none of this is rocket science. That's one of the messages of my book. Right. There's some complexities, but it's very navigable with educational resources such as my book. And with a little upfront planning, this can be navigated and you can have a really good outcome in terms of both tax savings and building up retirement wealth. So, yeah, there's there's some confusion out there. These accounts started to come into vote into vague, you know, vote in the year 2001. There was a tax law change that made them a little better than a, you know, made them better than a SEP IRA, but it took the world a long time to adopt them. And you got to remember in the year 2001, we didn't have Twitter 
and all these blogs and YouTube pushing the latest and greatest in personal finance. Right. And I think some folks were sort of set in their ways on the SEP IRA. It took the institutions a while to interpret the new law and to even offer this thing, mm-hmm. right? So it was this very slow shift to solo 401ks. And frankly, mm-hmm. it's still occurring, right? That's part of the reason I wrote the book is the world is changing in terms of there's going to be more solopreneurs out there. And we need education. We need people thinking about these things. Um, but absolutely, Whitney, this is a navigable topic. This is not rocket science. But I, I understand that on a one-hour podcast, it at times can sound a little confusing. Totally, right? Especially if it's like part of the barrier is always the language of just speaking the language of finance is so complicated sometimes where it's like, oh my God, tax deferred or tax free. Like, what is this all? So it's like it's just so complicated in general. I think another piece that a lot of people will have questions on is what the heck a solopreneur definition is. So if I have a W-2 job and maybe I'm working 40 hours a week there, but I also do, we'll say consulting on the side. Yes. Uh, Is that, do I still qualify for that or are there any regulations or limitations? Yeah. So the term solopreneur is not technically defined anywhere in the world. I view it as somebody who works for themselves in some way. So in your case, Whitney, you're sort of describing what I refer to as a side hustler. Yeah. Okay. Totally. So, you know, they go go to work, they got a W-2 job, and that's their main source of income, but they do something very similar on the side. Mm-hmm. Okay. That person reports that income and their related deductions on Schedule C, and they pay self-employment tax. That's called a Schedule SE. That also gets filed with the Form 1040. That's two good indications that guess what? you probably qualify for a solo 401k as long as you don't employ anybody else in that side hustle. You qualify for a solo 401k. And now the question becomes, well, what do you want to do with that solo 401k? First of all, do you have runway or capacity to actually make a contribution? Maybe you Mm -hmm. you're still starting out and you can barely make the employer match at your W-2 job. And that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. Let's build wealth. Let's build knowledge. And maybe the solo 401k isn't our tactic today, but maybe no. You know, I'm making 20000 consistently on my side hustle, and I really want to use this for savings to build my wealth. Mm-hmm. Well, now the solo 401k really could become the mm-hmm. thing, the tool in your toolbox. One thing to keep in mind is you do have to coordinate between your workplace W-2 or W-2 solo 401k, or I'm sorry, regular 401k mm-hmm. and your solo 401k. So remember that 20500 limitation I referenced earlier? Yeah. That's per person, not per job. So if you... Max out your W-2 401k at 20500 you're under 50 years old, great. But that means you can't make any employee contributions to your solo 401k that year. That's okay, but maybe you do the employer contributions to the solo 401k, right? So there does need gotcha. to be some coordination. I talk about that in the book. Uh, but the solo 401k absolutely could be a great resource for the side hustler. Is that something too, because I can see that getting a little messy of trying to navigate the two and making sure you're following the limitations. Is that something where it's as easy as like starting a spreadsheet and just saying, here's, you know, my W2 401k, here's my solo 401k contributions for each that you can kind of match. Is that like one way of approaching it? That's a great way of doing it. Um, So yeah, it's not rocket science. So I'd say two things. One is Keep in mind that annual employee contribution limit, that has to be applied over both accounts, okay, over both 
W-2 jobs, 401k, and solo 401k. Mm -hmm. The second thing you can do, there's a resource uh, in IRS Publication 560. Okay, Google IRS Publication 560. At the back of that, it's in Chapter 5 of that publication. There's this great resource that computes your maximum allowed employer contribution to a solo 401k. Uh-huh. And it factors in like what you've already contributed as an employee to the solo 401k. It's a really good resource. I cite to it in the book. Um, and then, yeah, you use an educational resource like mine in terms of my book. There are online calculators for solo 401k contributions. Not all of them factor in other employment. There is one, mm. there's a website, Oblivious of Investor. I believe the gentleman's name is Mike Piper. He's a really bright uh, fellow. He has a solo 401k calculator that can factor in other employment earnings. And look, I'm not here oh, to vouch for the software, sure. but what I, what I like to think about those online calculators, especially a really good one like obliviousinvestor.com, mm-hmm. is use it to help form your judgment, right? So yeah. you look at, say, a resource like my book, you look at yeah. publication 560, chapter five, their worksheet, and then you look at something like Mike Piper's Oblivious Investor Solo 401k calculator. And I'm not here to say any of those are the holy grail, although mm-hmm. hopefully the IRS is being accurate in their publication. <laughs> One <guaranteed>. would hope. <laughs> One would hope, but not guaranteed. But you use all those resources together to make an informed mm. judgment and to make a good judgment. Um, and if they're all starting this point in the same direction, that's a pretty good sign. Hey, I probably got my numbers right here. That makes sense. Okay. And is that something to where I presume if you're a soul, uh, to me, I always think it's worth working with professionals, especially when it comes to anything tax related, because that is a very complicated subject. I've worked in public accounting for a little while. I see how complicated it can be. So I steer clear of that. I just hire somebody that knows what they're doing and is qualified as a, a CPA. Is that something where you can, let's say you're you're like dead set on just doing your own taxes and you, you just want to manage all of your money on your own. Like that's just, you're passionate yeah. about that. That's your thing. Is that something where you would go through each of these calculators and then take that amount and go to a CPA or a CFP and say, Hey, here's what I'm seeing. Can you fact check me? Is that appropriate? Well, so you touch on a whole host of issues that self-employed sure. and solopreneurs run up against in terms of getting that tax return prepared. Yeah. So I will say there are few practitioners who are looking for one-off work because it's hard for the practitioner to give you a one-off answer without knowing the rest of your picture. Right. A few sort of, these are Sean's guidelines. These are not Mm -hmm. set in stone. You do you. Sure. What I would say is the bigger the self-employment, the more likely there's a need for a tax return preparer. Right. If you have a side hustle where you have four consulting clients and they each pay you, you know, three thousand dollars and it's twelve thousand dollars and you have a few office supplies and that's it. Yeah. Maybe you don't fine. need a tax return preparer. Right. True. But if you've got a real business, either side hustle, full time self-employment, that might be the time where, boy, I, I think I need a, a real tax return preparer. The other piece of advice I have for folks, and this goes beyond the solopreneur context, but certainly mm-hmm. applies in the solopreneur context, is you have to understand how tax return preparers work and the environment they are in these days. February through April 15th is soul crushing and mind crushing for your typical <laughs> totally tax return is. preparer. Yeah. So then the question becomes, well, wait a minute, I'm working with somebody in their worst two and a half months of the year by far. Yeah. These people aren't getting sleep. 
how the heck do I have a good experience with my tax return prepared? My tip for folks is when you engage your current tax return preparer or prospective new one is ask him or her, will you do this? Will you file my tax return on extension? The reason I say that is that that buys time to dot I's and cross T's in terms of preparing the paperwork and the forms. Mm -hmm. So it does still require some estimates from your tax return preparer before April 15th to make sure the right amount of tax is paid in and any previously made solo 401k contributions are, are valid, right? But that's just estimate work. That doesn't need to be as precise as getting all these forms right. Right. So you get the estimates done in the early part of the year, you get any tax due paid in, you know, estimated, and then you work with your tax return preparer in May, June, July, August, when he or she is on a much more normal sleep schedule and is not just work to the bone right. and you can get this stuff in. And the other thing too, is with the right planning is the extension can extend the time for the solo 401k payments. Depends on the setup, depends on the situation. That's, that's not all situations, sure. but for the schedule C person, that's generally, generally correct. If you plan before December 31st, you probably still max out the solo 401k by April, by October 15th, if you file that extension. So that's sort of like a practical, that that's sort of the advice I'm giving folks now sure. uh, around how to get these taxes prepared. There's no silver bullet in this regard, but that's the one thing I would think I would like to see taxes, tax returns, not just prepared in two and a half months when everybody's under incredible pressure, overworked, probably yeah. going to make some mistakes somewhere. Let's do it in May, June, July. Folks are a little more leisurely. Life mm -hmm. isn't as difficult for the return preparer. And you, as the client of the tax return preparer, are probably likely to have a better experience. It is so true. It's actually funny you mentioned that. I started filing extensions. I, th I think last year was my first year doing that. And that was by a lack of organization. I was like, oh, shoot. I'm like, I need some more time. I just do. And it worked out so well where now it's just, it's nice even for me to collect things that sometimes I forget about too, especially where now it's like I've got multiple businesses. So it gets a little bit more complicated, but it is quite a good benefit. I actually wish people knew that more that you can file an extension and you can, you know, pay your taxes. So you don't have to pay a lot of penalties and that kind of stuff, but it's a really good benefit. I'm, pr I'm, I'm glad to hear on the user end, there's some That's validation great. to my advice on that in that regard. It's so nice. <laughs> it is so nice, Sean. Yeah. Just to not feel like rushed. And then you, you know, you find, oh shoot, I forgot this form or I forgot to mention this. And like even though the tax planning guides are pretty robust these days, especially with like crypto and Airbnb income. And like I do find that a lot of those cover that or at least ask about it, but I still forget stuff all the time. Yeah, it's complicated. And you know, the paperwork on these tax returns is the complexity is oh my off God, right? the charts, right? It is. And so why do we want that? Why does that have to be done by April 15th if right. we're allowed to extend? We still have to pay in the tax, right, by yeah, April totally. 15th. But a quick estimate can easily get that done. And you don't, don't I mean, you can overpay just a little bit, give a little cushion just to help make sure you don't have any penalties. Um, but if you get a little refund when you file an extension in Jan in July, August, September, who really cares, right? There's a little okay. bit of interest. It's a low interest rate environment anyway. So if the government has your extra thousand dollars for a few more months, who really cares in this low interest rate environment? Right. It's a very, very good point. Is there anything that we didn't touch on 
with, I mean, probably lots, especially because if they pick up your book, they're going to get a lot more detail than what we can talk about in a podcast episode. But is there anything else that I didn't ask you about solo 401ks that you think are really important for people to understand? I mean, one thing I would just point out is for those on that fence of, oh, I'm in W-2, but I'm thinking about transition to self-employment. And, oh, but what about retirement contributions, right? I got, you know, I have this good job and I can max out my 401k and they put in 3% a year. Well, one, you can still max out that solo 401k. And two, the employer contribution tends to be a lot bigger when we're self-employed than when we're Mm -hmm. W-2, right? Because when you're W-2, that employer contribution is coming out of the employer's pocket. So they often they'll give you some, but they might limit it, right? Uh, Maybe it's, 6% 6% up to, you know, it matches 50% of 6% of salary. If you make mm-hmm. $100,000, that's $3,000. Real money, don't get me wrong. Sure. But if you go work for yourself, you could do an employer contribution in a case like that. That might be six times as high because now you're just limited by how much you're willing to contribute and the tax laws, right? Yeah. So it, the way the limits work in that example, it could be over 18,000 in employer contributions versus 3,000 in employer contributions. So you know, the transition from W-2 to solopreneurship has all sorts of issues and things you need to consider, but don't be worried about, oh, now I can't get money into a solo 401 or into a 401k. It may turn out you can get a lot more money into a 401k. So true. It's that mindset shift too behind that. Sometimes it's really hard to let go of, well, it's somebody else's money. It's like, no, it still comes out of your pocket sometimes. Like you're still helping yourself by doing this. Um, One little follow-up question that I didn't ask on that I think is important is if we're talking to somebody who is navigating the two different jobs right now, so their side hustle and their W-2, and let's say, I'm going to throw out a number, their business income is $50,000 per year off of their side hustle. They Are they allowed to contribute? Like, Does that full contribution amount have to come directly from their business or can their W-2 kind of fund some of that too? Great question. Right. So it depends on the structure involved. If they are Schedule C, right, so the income and deductions just get put on their own tax return, mm-hmm. they themselves just make the money, right, for tax purposes. Sure. So the money can come from anywhere uh, in their own personal life, right? It could come from their spouse. It could come from the business bank account. It nice. could come from uh, selling stock in a taxable account recognizing mm-hmm. capital gain or loss, and then funding the solo 401k that way. So that's pretty flexible, right? Um, if you're in an S corporation, then you have to do W-2 payroll, employer contributions have to be from the S corporation, a little more formality, a little more complexity. But for those who are just Schedule C, uh, the money can just come from your own personal assets, which is Sweet. really nice. Yeah. That is Very so flexible. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was one thing where I'm like, people are going to be like, Wendy, why do you ask this? (laughs) I don't need any hate mail. I don't need it. (laughs) Before we officially part ways, the book, The Solopreneur's Retirement Account, Solo 401k, is going to be out October 4th. Is that correct? Absolutely correct, Whitney. It'll be on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and several of the other ebook purveyors. I am so excited for you. This is such a huge thing, especially for solopreneurs. There's a lot of confusing information out there on solo 401ks. So I'm really excited to just have like a good resource that I can point people to and say, go read this. You're going to get all your questions answered. So, well, thanks so much, Whitney. Love talking about solo 401ks. 
it's a great topic and more and more people are finding self-employment. I think that's a really good thing. How do people connect with you, Sean? We have some rapid fires, but I'm just kind of curious and what the best way to get in touch with you is. Yeah. So you can find me, Sean Mullaney, at my financial planning firm, MullaneyFinancial.com. You can also find me at my blog, The Intersection of Tax and Financial Independence, FiTaxGuy.com. I love it. All right, my friend, are you down for some rapid fires? Absolutely. You're like, you didn't give me an option. I guess I'm down. (laughs) Okay. The first question for you, I personally am kind of interested in people's routines and what makes them tick. So are you more of a morning or evening routine person? I tend to be more of an evening routine person in terms of work, right? So I get up early and maybe I'll do some more social media and that sort of thing. And then later in the day, I tend to do more of my work work, if that makes sense. I like it. Do you go to bed pretty late too? Generally speaking, but these days it's before midnight. So I'm usually in bed before midnight. I like it. Not too bad. Okay. My next question for you, aside from your own book, what is one book you find yourself gifting most often? I would say The Millionaire Next Door, uh, which is a great book, personal finance chestnut uh, from the late nineties, but has tons of applicability to this day. I totally agree too. It is such a good one. My next question for you, what's one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? I would say vacation to Hawaii. Uh, I believe in travel and getting away and sort of resetting sort of the the landscape. And so my wife and I recently did a nine-day vacation on the big island of Hawaii. And we use some points and those sorts of things as well. Um, but absolutely. I'm a big fan of Hawaii. love going to Hawaii for vacations. I like it. Okay. Well, this leads into my next question. Where's one location you're dying to travel to? Ooh, that's a really good one. Um, I'll, I'll say Yosemite just because I've never been to Yosemite National Park. I've been to Yellowstone, which is a great place to visit. And so at some point I live in California now. So at some point my wife and I get to Yosemite, but I'll say Yosemite. You have to, especially if you live in California. All right. Last question for you, my friend. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? That is a great question. And it's hard to come up with one. But what I'd say is controlling your expenses and building up your assets. I think that's that sort of that's a tag team answer. But if you can build up financial wealth, and that can take different forms, but build up the financial wealth and lower the expenses, I think that's the big secret in terms of building up financial wealth and having financial success. I love it. Sean, what a beautiful way to wrap up. Thank you so much for your time and for writing this book to help people like me that are solopreneurs out there. I am so grateful for your education and your time today. Thank you again. Thanks so much for having me, Whitney. I really appreciate it. Okay. What'd you think? Pretty interesting stuff, right? If you are self-employed, I hope that this was helpful for you. I know it was for me as well. Do me the biggest favor. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with one person that you know that could get some value from the content today. And I have to give a special shout out to everybody that has left reviews on the podcast. It means so much to me. And it's so fun reading through your takeaways and seeing who some of your favorite guests were. It really does help this show get in front of more people. And it's like, as a podcaster, It's one of the greatest things you can do for us. We see those and we get so stoked. So whether that's my show or another, go leave your favorite podcast a review. It truly does mean the world to us. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. I hope you're having a great week and I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye.